You're listening to the Law and Business Podcast, hosted by Anthony Verna. We tackle the difficult questions where business and the law intersect to help you run a smarter business and avoid costly mistakes. Brought to you by Verna Law PC, a full-service law firm focusing on patents, trademarks, copyrights, domain names, and advertising law. For more information, call 914-908-6757 or send an email to anthony at vernalaw.com for more information. I am here with Professor Shad Ewart. How are you doing, Professor? I'm doing fine, Anthony. It's nice to see you. It's a pleasure to see you and talk to you as well. Uh, so we're not big on, on, on intros here, but just to be quick, that uh, you're a professor and administrator at Anne Arundel Community College uh, in Maryland, correct? That is correct. Anne Arundel was the uh, wife of Lord Baltimore. So there is our connection. <laughs> and uh, you are uh, you are a, a, a business professor, entrepreneurship professor, correct? A business professor and department chair. I run the business management department here at Anne Arundel. Wonderful. And uh, as a part of this, you've created uh, courses for entrepreneurship and cannabis. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, started about, um, if you don't mind, I'll tell you a little bit of history here. Please, please. Because because to me, getting getting into cannabis is just as interesting as the cannabis industry itself. So I had a class here at Anne Arundel. It was called Small Business Management. Uh, I taught that quite often. And um, we focused on rain barrels uh, 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 here in the Anne Arundel County. We are near the Chesapeake Bay, and these people love their water, so saving the bay 55 gallons at a time. It was a, a, an interesting class that um, uh, it, it was real. You can't just talk about widgets these days in college, and, and, and the rain barrel class made it real. And I was getting these questions while I was teaching this class, and this goes back about five years ago. The students were simply interested in, in what was going on in the cannabis world. I think uh, probably what they were looking at more was uh, Colorado, Colorado uh, coming online uh, with their medical program 2012 and 2014 with their adult use or recreational program. So I was going to say, I think Colorado tends to be a, a, a unicorn for a lot of people. It does. It is. And it's a unique, it's unique. Uh, islands of legality and a sea of illegality. And we'll get into that, uh, uh, that statement there. But um, uh, the, the students were just interested in it. And I had a former student that had come back to the college to just visit. And I asked him what he was doing. And he, he mentioned that his father uh, was a farmer out in California, uh, grew artisanal lettuce. I have no idea what artisanal lettuce <laughs> Um, his dad got sick, though. His dad got cancer. And uh, Tyler had to go out to California and take over the farm. And he converted it to a medical cannabis farm, uh, a licensed medical cannabis farm, uh, growing a, a strain of uh, actually very low in one of the compounds, THC, but very high in CBD. Sure. And it was a particularly good strain for uh, young children with uh, with seizures. And I said to him, I said, Tyler, boy, you've got to come to my class. I'm teaching it in about five or ten minutes. He had stopped by my office. I said, the kids are just so interested and they would love to hear from you. And he was like, you know, I'm, I'm not like a professor like you. I can't make a presentation. I said, listen, you know, the show um, inside the actor's studio, I'll be James Lipton and you'll be the simply interview you and man anthony it was it was tremendous i mean we had we were there for an hour and 15 minutes students completely and totally engaged and uh, i mean that was just great so i 
I've got to go teach another class. And, I, and the students still have a couple more questions. And I said to Tyler, I said, Tyler, do me a favor, man. Just stay five or ten minutes here and, and, and you know, answer these questions and then safe travels back to Cali. And I'll, I'll talk to you soon. So I go teach my other class. I, it's an hour and another hour and 15 minutes. And I happened to get back to my office, got to walk by where I had left him. So instead of 20 students, there are now 40 students. They have come in out of the hallway. And Tyler is still there. And I literally, Anthony, I stood out in the hallway and if, if you if it was a cartoon you would have drawn the light bulb above my head and I said at that moment I have to have a cannabis class so that was probably around 2014 it took me about 12 months to get it operational of course uh, I had wanted the title ganjapreneurship or <laughs> Uh, I didn't end up with that. There were compromises that had to be made, entrepreneurial opportunities in emerging markets, colon, cannabis legalization. And given that I only have 34 characters on a, on a script here, the abbreviation of that is absolutely hideous. But I finally got it operational, and that would have been in January of 2015. Uh, it's been a tremendous experience for me. Um, not really a pro-cannabis person. I just think doctors should have more options. Patients should have more choices. Um, it's a, it's been a great ride. I have students that now own dispensaries. Uh, I have students that are working in the industry. I have students that are starting uh, businesses that are kind of ancillary to the business, uh, to the core business and the core license business. And that's really the shtick in my class. I compare it to the uh, gold rush. And in the gold rush, the people that made the money, the green rush, were not the people that found on the gold nuggets, but rather the people that sold the picks and shovels. Here in Maryland, you need you need 15 million, 20 million to open up a growth site. You need at least a million in your pocket to open up one of the dispensaries. Well, that's, that's, that's true here in New York as well. My students don't have that economic wherewithal. So I, what I steer them towards are those ancillary businesses uh, uh, that are supportive of that core industry. And, and you know, and, and given right now what we're seeing in some of the states and, and the uh, price of cannabis crashing, uh, I'm even more convinced now that the, the picks and shovels uh, a part of this industry is really where the, where the opportunities are. And those services, attorneys, accountants, uh, uh, they're all going to benefit from this as well. Right. Well, all, uh, and all of our, our clients are uh, in the cannabis industry aren't really in the cannabis industry they're really just like you said in the pick picks and axes uh section of of this particular industry as well um so so and i do want to return to that particular idea in in a bit but but let's talk a little bit about the state laws versus the 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 Federal Controlled Substance Act, because that has to be a problem in order to get things running. Oh, absolutely. It's the sword of Damocles that uh, hangs over everybody's head in this industry. Um, on the other hand, I don't think we're going to uh, uh, push the toothpaste back into the tube at this point. Uh, we've got 20,000 full-time jobs created just in Colorado. You've got uh, serious tax revenue coming in. But, I mean, listen, let's, uh, again, let's do a little history here. Uh, for 5,000 years, this was medicine. I mean, nobody thought about this in any way. The Chinese used it. The Greeks used it. The, the Romans used it. Uh, it was used in India. From India, it got to, to England for medical use. And uh, 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 Queen Victoria used a, a sublingual tincture underneath her tongue to treat her, her PMS. I did not know that. It wasn't until, um, yeah, I've got a great picture of her. I call it the before picture. It's a little scary. Uh, <laughs> 
I, I, listen, and again, it, it would have appeared in any apothecary in the United States and probably in half the households in 1900. It was sitting in somebody's medica, medica, uh, medical cabinet, and it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. It wouldn't have been like morphine or, or heroin or, or cocaine, which you could have gotten in an apothecary. This would have been one of the herbals. Um, but what happened, you got two things that happened around the turn of the century that are absolutely critical to the story of cannabis. And one is uh, a Mexican revolution uh, around the turn of the century. And you have uh, Mexican immigrants coming to the United States and they are bringing for the very first time the recreational use of cannabis. And uh, as you know, we, we seem to have issues here in the United States with anybody of color crossing our borders. And, and that was an issue. You converge that with the, um, uh, the fact that the DuPont family was introducing a new product nylon rope the problem okay problem with nylon rope was that nylon rope was way more expensive than the current alternative and the current alternative was hemp based hemp, hemp based rope right. so a rich guy sell stuff you call your other rich friends and the dupont family were friends with uh, william randolph hearst william randolph hearst ran 500 newspapers in the united states and started uh, uh, 20 years of probably the, the greatest propaganda campaign ever in the united states and that was the demonization of this plant uh, when you own 500 newspapers, you only have to write one or two articles, and that's what he did. He wrote one or two articles. They were either about Mexicans or blacks uh, raping uh, white women. That's always a scary one. And uh, Mexicans and blacks uh, killing white men, uh, usually with a hatchet or an axe, a particularly brutal way to kill them. But when you have uh, 500 papers, it doesn't matter if it's true or not. You send that story out, and all of a sudden, by 1936, we have reefer madness. Uh, again, I consider that to be the, uh, the, 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 you know, the greatest propaganda campaign. And by 1937, we have the Marijuana Tax Act and therefore right. uh, made it illegal uh, and made uh, basically through the use of a tariff that way. We made the, the hemp rope more expensive and nylon works. So you move up, uh, uh, you know, uh, 40 years and we get to the Controlled Substance Act. Even though the American Medical Association had gone to President Nixon and said, please, uh, there's no reason that this should be Schedule 1, 3, 4, 5, or don't even schedule it. I think he basically had a thing against the hippies, and it ends up Schedule 1 narcotic. And because of that, you know, we are in the situation that we are in now. Um, it was somewhat resolved in 2009 with the Ogden Memo. The Ogden Memo came out of the Department of Justice. And basically what that said was, you know, we're not going to use any financial or other resources uh, uh, to prosecute the uh, marijuana-based crimes. Uh, the Cole Memorandum in 2014 basically set up, uh, again, from the Department of Justice, kind of gave the framework. If And it really was to help financial institutions. I think what they had seen was, listen, we have, a, and we'll talk about some of the consequences of sure. uh, islands of legality and a sea of illegality here. But um, uh, one of those consequences was uh, having an all-cash business. And, and so the Cole Memorandum, what it did was set up kind of a, a framework in which how financial institutions could work with the cannabis uh, uh, companies. Uh, Trump gets elected, uh, uh, Jefferson Beauregard Sessions III, and I do always like to remember that Mr. Jefferson Beauregard Sessions III once said, I didn't uh, think the KKK was bad until I found out they smoked pot. Uh, so the... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was going to say, I noticed that I noticed the dripping sarcasm when you mentioned his name. Uh, you there, but the pot smoking did. Well, he rescinded that coal memorandum. Um, it looked like dark days there for the uh, cannabis industry, but 
Probably the biggest change occurred back uh, November 6th and November 7th of 2018. November 6th was the election, and Pete Sessions, no relation to uh, uh, Jeff, uh, was not reelected. And Pete was um, a House member that basically controlled any cannabis le uh, legislation, did not let it get through. Day after that, Jeff is fired, and uh, we're sitting here now in a, in a gray area, in a gray area. So I talked about some of the consequences, uh, one of them being the banking issues yes. uh, related to that is cash handling. Um, I was just out in Las Vegas at a conference talking about some of the, the ways in which some of the companies are, are dealing with it, Bitcoin. Uh, gigantic safes in, in the offices. Well, you know, in my in, in my class, you know, that that's an opportunity, you know, uh, <laughs> firms for the safe firms. But, you know, what? that's not the way to run your business. It's not the way. And listen, a lot well, and, and I understand that some 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 uh, dispensaries or farms are are because it's a cash business or even like going to the IRS office near them and trying to, like, pay their federal taxes in <laughs> cash. And, and I mean, this seems ridiculous. They absolutely have to. They don't have any other choice. Um, and, and think about that. You, you've shifted now this burden, uh, and it's a security burden, uh, to your employees. They're going to have to, or, or somebody's going to have to drag that pile of cash down. And if you're paying your employees in cash, I mean, my God, I've got a 26-year-old son. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure he knows what cash is. I mean, everything he does on the phone. And, you know, if he doesn't have direct deposit, I, I don't know what he would do. <laughs> have the banking issues and, and banking not only do they not have a place to bank so they can't accept that credit cards from their customers but they don't have access to loans so that creates another potential issue who gets into this industry well only people that can get into this industry are people um yes and that might be a social equity issue. There's no loans coming out of the bank. That's a problem. Uh, for uh, your attorneys also out there that are also CPAs, they know about 280E. 280E is the uh, uh, IRS uh, ruling about cannabis, and the cannabis firms all must pay their taxes based on their gross profit. So the only thing that they can reduce uh, uh, revenues by is their cost of goods sold. They can't take wage expenses or advertising. Right or any other expenses out. And, and finally, I think the last consequence here is the fact that, and this is, this is sad in the, in, the, in, the, in the medical world here, we don't have any human testing because it is schedule one. We don't do human testing in our colleges. I mean, arguably we have probably the greatest, you know, higher education system in the world here. And the U.S. colleges are somewhat hand-tied in what they can do with respect to studying the plant here. So most of our most of our good studies are coming out of Israel and England right now in terms of uh, plant morphology and, and things going on with the plant itself and how it interacts with the human body. But those are all consequences of this. So in, in trying to set up a business, whether it's a, a cannabis dispensary, whether it's a farm for, for, for cannabis, or, or whether you're in the, the, the picks and access business, uh, how can a business understand the market or understand the regulations better in order to maximize their, their opportunities? Well, I think you're, the answer is right there. So, the, the, so number one, we have to divide the two groups here. So okay. That, or businesses, the licensed businesses, and that differs by states. Uh, in, in all states that have legalized it for medical use, 30, and the 10 that have recreational or adult use, uh, that core business, the, the cultivator 
growers, the processors, the ones that are, are taking the flour and putting it into the concentrated form, into the vape pen, uh, and depending on the state, maybe edibles, and the uh, dispensaries, uh, akin to a pharmacy, let's say. Sure. Uh, those, those, what I call the core industry there, that's the, the gold nugget or the green nugget, mm-hmm. the shovels being all those ancillary business. Now, in some states like Michigan, uh, they do license also the transport uh, and, and some other things. But in most states, it's really just that the growers, the processors, and the, um, and the dispensaries there. So, and then we separate them out from the picks and shovels or those ancillary businesses there. For, for, for me and for the advice that I give to anyone that comes to me that says, I am interested in getting this into this industry, whether it is the core or whether it is those ancillary businesses, my first piece of advice is get the regulations from your state and read those regulations. Number one, those regulations will tell you how to apply for the licenses and get those. And depending on the state, that can be an incredibly brutal process. Here in Maryland, I think most of the successful licensees put at least fifty to $100,000 in the preparation of their license package. And I can tell you, New York and New Jersey are both closed right now. But but it was at least twice that when when they were when New York and New Jersey were accepting applications. I think what you will find is in the states that limit the number of growers, those licenses become incredibly uh, uh, valuable. Well, it's an artificial cap, so yeah. <laughs> that's a, you know that's one interesting thing we're studying right now in the class is um, we're looking at states uh, uh, that don't have any caps and and what happens to the price of cannabis. Um, but uh, no, I, I get all of my folks to, to we start with the regulations. The regulations will also point to those opportunities. So in Maryland, when it says you got to have 20 foot high fencing and you've got to have razor concertina wire or you've got to have video surveillance every 25 feet and it's got to sweep 180 degrees and got to have facial recognition at night. Well, that says to me, if you're in the fencing business or you're in the uh you know, the uh, barbed wire business or you're in the video surveillance business, they are telling you exactly what how you can benefit from that water, uh, um, you know, water purity issues here in, in Maryland. We have regulations about that. It is telling you where those opportunities are. So for anyone interested in this industry, know your know the federal laws, but but start with your state regulations. That's my best advice that I can give you know, you know, I um, I had uh, been speaking to a company for a while that was doing consulting for dispensaries, and basically their idea was that we're going to make a dispensary look like the the Apple Store, <laughs> and um, I don't know that they that they went anywhere because that seemed a little too um, a little too much of a simple answer. I, I mean, what do you expect consumers to 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 get when they're walking into a dispensary. I'm, I'm thinking not the Apple store, actually. I'm thinking quite, quite the opposite. Well, it's, it's, it's differs between uh, medical versus adult use and recreation. Sure. Sure. Um, Here in Maryland where we have medical only, I think you, I think they are akin to an Apple store or a spa. That has been the, the description, at least the, the owners have, when they've come to my class, that was kind of the look that they wanted from their place. Here in Maryland, what we're seeing is is a, a lot of customers are north of seventy and eighty degrees, uh, seventy or, <laughs> or eighty years old. And 
not, you know, they they don't want to see Bob Marley. They don't want to go into a place that is burning incense. Uh, uh, I mean, the, the the penetration rate of cannabis is about 12% nationwide here. So they're easy. That 12%, what do you need to do? Your marketing is, is a sign that says we are open, and they are going to find <laughs> Uh, the, the challenge in this industry is how do you get my dad, my dad to do it, an 80-year-old man who has grown up with just say no, he is convinced that it's a gateway drug, that, it, that, you know, that he's, he's absolutely shocked that Queen Victoria wasn't jamming a needle in her arm next and shooting up heroin. How do you get my mom in who works for the pharmaceutical industry and, and has since I was five years old? <laughs> Um, well, there's a couple things. Number one is that number two is if they get, as my father once said, if you get to paying level eight, you'll consider just about any damn thing on this planet. Um, and, and my answer is, of course, education, I believe. And, and so part of what we do in my class is my students are not allowed to use words like weed, pot, dope, marijuana. Marijuana wow. is a made up word. It is made to uh, marginalize. It, it, it sounded Mexican. Uh, it is like the word Haagen-Dazs. That is a made word. Some market, they're, from, they're from New Jersey. Yeah, some mark <laughs> in New Jersey sat around one day. Maybe cannabis was involved. I'm not sure. But <laughs> it, oh, in my class, we use the word cannabis. We don't get upset with people when they say it's a gateway drug. We actually have a uh, uh, like I, uh, I say, we've got a little college up there in Baltimore called Johns Hopkins, and they did a little research on that and proved it wasn't a gateway drug. We don't we don't denigrate people. We hand them information. So uh, how do you get those folks? You create a, a dispensary that is comfortable for them to walk into, uh, that doesn't have the Bob Marley poster, doesn't have music being cranked, doesn't have incense being burned. Uh, you make sure that the people that I hate the term bud tender, I would much, you know, and I know it's a euphemism, but patient care advisor. Uh, listen, when my father finally went to a dispensary out in uh, in Nevada, which has both uh, rec and um, and uh, medical use, um, he went to a place. He went to a, a small uh, a room and a woman came in with a white jacket on and a stethoscope and a clipboard and talked to my father for 15 or 20 minutes about what his problems were, came back with some transdermal patches, and my father thought it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. As he likes to say, I didn't see a Bic lighter and I didn't see anything green. Now, I'm not 100% convinced that the stethoscope wasn't part of the uniform. <laughs> made my 80-year-old father feel comfortable. Had he walked into the recreational dispensaries, and was offered the exact same product, I don't think he'd have taken it. I think it had to come it had to come from the right person the right way and had to be presented to him in the right way. So yeah, that's that's a huge challenge in the industry right now. I, I mean, I find that story fascinating because if there's one thing that that when when doctors talk to me about about marketing, my first thought is you're spe are you a specialist? Well, have you tried to make your doctor's office feel a little more spa-like? And I'm not saying you're opening a spa. I'm just saying make your chairs a little more comfy. Tone down the colors. Don't make everything stark white. You know, give your bathrooms a little, a little um, uh, makeover to feel better and feel a little more pizzazz in the bathroom, which I know sounds a little weird, but it's kind of a part of the overall thought so that your doctor's office doesn't feel like a stark white doctor's office putting people off but yet your story is like well here that uniform helped 
to, to bridge that gap. Absolutely. It was it was critical. And and, and, and one of the stories I heard from um, uh, one of my students uh, uh, owns a dispensary here called Greenpoint Wellness. And um, like I said, their 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 clients are, are running 70, 80 years old. The 60 year olds are bringing their 85 year old uh, moms and dads in with them to uh, and, and they have now purchased it, 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 everything here in, in Maryland. You've got to have cameras on everything, even your parking lot there. So sure. They, and so what they were seeing was that the gentleman that's trying to help his wife get into the store and he gets out of the car, he goes to the trunk, he's pulling the the uh, the wheelchair out, he's assembling the wheelchair, he's pulling his wife out of the passenger side. So they invested in two wheelchairs and now they have employees that when they see that happening in the parking lot, they grab their wheelchair, they go out in the parking lot what that person feels better so that same person now is um she is so happy she had some rheumatoid arthritis problems some um, uh, created some sleep issues couldn't get more than an hour and a half at a time is now sleeping eight hours a night she is now on a weekly basis bringing a pie in that she has uh, uh, baked herself to the dispensary owner and that dispensary owner is now complaining that he weighs 20 pounds more because the woman keeps <laughs> some of the best damn pies on the planet here. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's, listen, I'm a business person. I believe everything is sales. And I think it all starts with knowing your customer. And if you're in the medical uh, uh, world only, you know, I I would think about not hiring the 21 and 22 year old as your patient care advisor. Maybe look at that 50 or 60 year old as as that patient care advisor. Because when they're talking to the 70 year old, 70 year old might feel a little more comfortable with them. Understood. Understood completely. So one last topic before we 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 get rolling here, and that would be the the beginning of this particular industry. A lot of states have origination issues, and and you know, yeah, mainly because a state wants the the cannabis to be uh, grown in state, but it's, it's got to come from somewhere, doesn't it? It does, and it. it, it... Listen, there are um, there's a, a little bit of don't ask, don't tell. I, I can tell you here in New York that's not quite true. There there were there was there were a couple uh, um, dispensaries that were um, that were fined because their cannabis came from outside New York when they started growing. <laughs> well, okay. So the, the options are when they start are it is going to have to come from outside of the state or they are going yes. to. From an illegal grow in the yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> and now is now the seeds. Uh, you can get the seeds. There are some uh, 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 seed um, uh, uh, propagators out in California and Oregon that are are quite good. That are now having seed banks. Uh, you can order the seeds online, um, and it you know for a pragmatic uh, uh, standpoint, it, it, it's very difficult to discern whether seeds are being shipped. Uh, or if you picked up seeds and, and brought them back. Um, I, I know here there were a couple dispensaries that said we put 20,000 cash in our pocket. We drove out west and we loaded up with seeds. And remember, that's hard. That's not easy. Yeah. You got to get 100 seeds to get one mother plant. Uh, right. So the, the plant morphology comes that, that you don't, once you get the plant established, you don't want to go from seeds because it is only the female plant that produces the flower, which is, uh, uh, you know, your revenue source there. So you, it takes 100 seeds. 50 of them will be males. You're going to dump those. 40 of the females are probably going to be kind of weak. And, and, you know, they got the flavor profile you're looking for, but it's just a weak plant. And that doesn't right. help well so out of 100 seeds you might get two 
you might get two plants out of that and then you've got that mother plant so now what we're starting to see is they are freezing uh, uh, cellular at, at the cellular level and propagating at the cellular level so no longer just cuttings but I think you're going to see uh, that's going to be a huge uh, opportunity once again if it's a problem it becomes an opportunity in this industry and there's there's a bunch of them coming down the road here that that need to be dealt with here listen we've got we've got uh, the patenting of strains uh, uh, there's one patent so far. There are tremendous licensing licensing opportunities there. We got food additive issues. We got a ruling coming down on CBD probably pretty soon because right now CBD is a wild world out there. Yes, it is. You got yes, it is for your dog. You can get it in your hamburger. Uh, e you e even even the fertility clinic my wife and I go to sells their own branded CBD oil. Right now, that is completely unregulated. You don't know what you are getting. You don't know if it is coming from industrial hemp. Is it coming from a cannabis plant? Uh, I think you're going to see new products coming online. Part of the issue here of, of uh, and I think in these states I mentioned before that don't have these limits, it's a race to the bottom. I mean, right now in Oregon, we are seeing $300 pounds. That is under $20 an ounce. Wow. What going to do with that you're going to have to and you can't save it i mean come on it's a perishable product here so you got to do something with it so i think you're going to see some really neat and interesting things going on in terms of the concentrate world and, and those things are going to have to be dealt with and i think we're going to see new distribution it's we are not far away from a, a situation in this world where you're going to be able to walk into a restaurant and order a brownie and that brownie is going to be infused and then what are the issues for the restaurant Listen, if I see someone come up to the bar and they do three shots of whiskey, I'm saying, you know what, you're taking a cab home. But if somebody, I mean, what, where, is the, where is the culpability with the restaurant there and something that may not take effect for six minutes or nine? So I think there's a whole wide range of issues that are coming up here in the very near future in the cannabis world. Shad, uh, I want to thank you so much. We are out of time. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And this is a, a reminder, if uh, you like what you've heard, don't forget to rate. Don't forget to subscribe to the Lawn Business Podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode. Professor Shad Ewart, thank you so much. You're most welcome. Thanks, Anthony. This has been the Law and Business Podcast. Visit VernaLaw.com for more episodes. To contact Verna Law PC, send an email to Anthony at VernaLaw.com or call 914-358-6401.